Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over 200 different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. Today's guest is Sam Snowden, who is a fellow UCLA TMF grad, and we connected at a recent continuing education training weekend in LA. I wanted to have Sam on the podcast because she just has such beautiful calming energy and a wealth of knowledge and experience. On the podcast, we talk about how to integrate, if you so choose, technology into our meditation practices and permission to design and create your meditation practice based on your own wisdom, which you know if you listen to this podcast, I am so passionate about. A little bit about Sam, and there's so much to share, so Make sure to read her whole bio in the show notes. Sam has taught meditation and mindfulness to kids, teens, and families and adults all over the world for the last 10 years. She has also worked with prestigious youth empowerment programs such as UCARE Foundation, Insight Seminars, the Canadian Association of International Programs, and UCLA's MARC program. Sam is currently a teacher at Headspace Health, and so I thought she would be the perfect person to come on to talk about how we get to navigate all of these apps into our practices. So let's settle in and let's get centered. Sam, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. You have such a Zen background right now, so it's helping <laughs> It's helping me feel centered. I want to kick us off by having you share with us one of your favorite practices or rituals that you do on a daily basis. Mm, I love that question. I would say pretty much every day I honor my efforts. That's what I call it. So usually at the end of the day, I'll just recall um, the little things I did. Maybe it's the way that I spoke to someone with kindness or gentleness or, you know, not saying certain things when I felt the urge to say something. So just taking stock of the parts of my day or the, the efforts that I made that I really appreciate to kind of remind myself that, you know, you're doing a good job. You're, you're doing well. Because <laughs> I think it's so easy to get negative and, and to focus on what we have to do or what we where areas of growth, which, you know, come naturally, come more naturally to us. But focusing on the efforts and thanking ourselves, that really, that really helps me. 
That's so beautiful. What if you are open to exploring more? Like, what is that practice like? Is that with the journaling? Is that just, you know, while you're sitting, reflecting and having some afternoon tea? What does that look yeah. like? Yeah. It's usually, um, well, most days I meditate before bed. I have a little meditation cushion in front of my bed and I just um, do a silent practice. And then at the end or when I'm done with the meditation, I'll just think about the day. Like I'll mentally recall the moments of the day from the morning, from the moment I wake up to the afternoon, to the evening. And um, along with that, sometimes I'll ask myself, kind of like, I imagine meditation sometimes is sitting down with a good friend and you're just listening. You're very receptive and open. And I'll ask my myself to recall the pings of the day. So moments when, I don't know, I just got a little anxious or someone said something that rubbed me the wrong way or whatever it is. Um, and I just sit with and witness those pings and bring some compassion to whatever come whatever emotions come up or whatever memories are brought up and then i'll invite myself to recall those moments of effort so what what are you happy that how are you joyful around the way you showed up today what makes you feel good about the way you showed up today so that's kind of the prompt i give myself and there have been a couple times where i've um journaled about it instead of just mentally noted it but either way it I think it accomplishes the same thing. What a powerful practice to do, especially right before bed, because I'm sure that supports the mind from that rumination track that we all probably know very well before going to bed when we're reflecting on the things that have happened the day, the the positives, the the neutral, the not so pleasant moments. And so how how beautiful to take that space and and welcome the pings to have some compassion reflection and then also celebrate yourself and kind of focus on what I say, like watering the seeds of kindness with your mind, not the critical negative nitpicky ones that we know can take over if we are not intentional. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like our, we obviously have this negativity bias where we remember all the things we want to fix or change. Um, so to I, I think of it as kind of a counterbalance to that tendency our brain has. And, you know, it's just, and I also try to think of the way it helped us survive. You know, we tend to remember the the most emotionally charged moments in our lives so that that memory can help inform future decisions and help us make better decisions or grow or remember, you know, ooh, this person was unsafe or this was a moment where I needed to do something different. So not to see it as something negative that our brain has uh, programmed, has been <laughs> programmed and developed over the thousands and millions of years. But um, yeah, just as this tool that is imperfect, but, and it, it can be counterbalanced. It can be, we, there are many things we can do in the way that we choose to relate to our thoughts and the way we choose to relate to ourselves. I'm curious, what inspired you to pick a evening meditation practice? Because I think this is, you know, I haven't talked about this with many guests on the podcast. A lot of people, myself included, have a morning meditation practice. And I think it's so good for people out there to remember you can meditate at any time of day. And so what inspired your evening practice? Yeah, well, I would say I do both. But in the morning, there's so much momentum 
from like I have this like many people this surge of cortisol um, running through my body so my first instinct is to move right so to sit still is kind of um, there's a lot it's very evocative and it's it's kind of some days it kind of works against my nature to sit still so uh, instead I'll go on a walk and then I walk to this garden near my house and then once I get there I sit on a bench and then I can do my practice um, and then walk home. So working with the body I found has been with my own body and the urges I have instead of trying to fight them has been really helpful. And then at the end of the day, there's been so much activity and there's so many things that have happened that my, the natural instinct is to want to give my, my brain and my mind some time to process that and to, um, kind of make sense of it all. It's not in a, effortful or striving way but like just kind of taking stock of what the day brought to my life and what I learned and what I um the moments that brought me joy I appreciate you bringing up the natural like noticing your natural urges and working with your body against versus against because this is something that I emphasize with my center in the city community is how we get to pause and listen inward so that we can make more intentional choices and not just feel like we're following the fads or, you know, this is what a meditation should look like. I need to sit in the morning because that's what everybody's telling me to do so that you're really listening to your body that's saying, no, I need to move. And you're moving mindfully and also offering a pause for reflection in the morning. But I think that's so skillful and I hope listeners really allow that to absorb in and get permission to listen to their body so that they can find that natural rhythm that works and create a mindfulness practice that works for them. Exactly. You know, there's so many ways to reflect and set intentions and contemplate, you know, meditation is a contemplative practice, but we can contemplate as we walk, we can contemplate as we journal, we can contemplate as we watch birds landing in trees, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it doesn't have to look a certain way. Uh, the important thing is that we're, we're bringing awareness and presence to what we're doing while we're doing it and bringing ourselves back when our mind inevitably drifts away to thoughts of the day or what's to be or worries. Um, it's, I always remind myself of this and also teach it that Mindfulness is a capacity we already have. It's already within us. So it's not something we have to get outside of ourselves. And it's about changing or changing sounds effortful too. It's, it's about noticing the relationship we have with our thoughts and our sensations and our emotions, and then bringing more kindness and acceptance and curiosity to that relationship. And so, yeah, we, we have a relationship with our minds all day long, whether we're meditating or not. It's just a matter of finding the, um, the, the kind of contemplative practice that's going, that, that resonates with you at that certain time of day, because we do have, our brain chemistry is very different, as we know, from the morning to the evening. So working with it instead of against it. Yeah. So you work for an app, a meditation app, and I want to talk about how do we you know, incorporate technology into our meditation and and mindfulness practices. I never used to be an app person. I 
you know, how I trained myself and started meditating was through my own guided practice. It was wisdom I gained from John Kabat-Zen and from courses I did. And then I started to really train. And actually, no, this is how long ago it was. It was CDs. It was using yes. his CDs, <laughs> you know, his, you join the class, you get your like five CDs and I would listen to the CDs. And eventually, you know, it was enough in my mind and my muscle memory that I could guide myself. And obviously the app world and meditation and mindfulness world has just exploded and expanded. And even fitness apps have turned into offering a lot of mindfulness practices. And so I'm curious from either your personal practice or also just what you know from being in the space professionally, like what are some ways that we can bring these apps into our life in a, in a mindful way? Because one of the things I hear is that they don't, people don't want to touch their phone because if they touch their phone, they're going to start the, the doom scrolling and then that prevents them from actually even practicing. So I'm just like curious to hear more about the relationship that you've noticed and witnessed of technology. Yeah, what a wonderful question and area to explore. So I think of, you know, all the options, like you said, we have for that technology offers us that we can literally I open my phone and I do this in the morning sometimes where I'll just open my phone and know it's almost like an addiction right you know you're not it's not going to serve you um, to go on social media or to read the news first thing in the morning for most of us some people can handle that and that works for them um, but for me personally I'll let myself get to the point where I open the phone and then I and then there's this inner knowing that says Sam hey that's it's not time for that yet. You know, this isn't, this isn't the best time. And then I see my little headspace um, app, the, the orange circle. And I know that when I click on that, whatever I receive from there is going to be congruent with this, the morning, you know, it's meaning like it's going to help me and not harm me. And I trust that because I know the content. Um, and so I can open that and then watch something we have called the wake up, which sometimes it's nature videos, you know, and just like helping you instead of talking at you, you're just witnessing an eagle flying over a canyon, right? Or sometimes it's a, it's a little animation about how to work with patients or, um, you know, whatever it is, it's something that's going to be nourishing and not, not overstimulating. And so having that option is, I feel very, important in this time that we live because it's, I mean, you could choose to live without a smartphone and kind of, I don't even know, can you anymore? <laughs> I mean, it would take a lot of options off the table. I know some people that have tried, they've experimented with it and they're like, shoot, what do I do with, about Google maps or right. ordering an Uber? And it's like, there's certain things they've become so dependent on yes. that it's really affected their ability to not have a smartphone now. Exactly. Yeah, my brother tried that and it la he actually went a year with a without a smartphone and then started working and realized it wasn't going to work. Um but the what was I going to say? The um the having the choice to go to an app that you know is supporting your mindfulness practice or that is nourishing you in some way that you trust. There aren't, there aren't going to be any ads. You know, it's not going to um, try to sell you anything that that's that's a, a good use of technology. 
like that is one of the beautiful aspects of having the world of meditation and mindfulness at our fingertips. And I don't think it's either or. I think it's so wonderful. My first introduction to mindfulness was the UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center when I was an undergrad in what, 2004, something like that. So they had just started. And I mean, I had Diana Winston and Marv Belzer, like they were my first teachers of, in the secular mindfulness world. And I needed that in-person experience and I still do. I mean, I go to in-person meditation groups and there's really no replacement for that. And so, but what these apps can do is help supplement what you're learning in person or in a group or in community and introduce you to concepts and mindfulness and practices. And so many people, and I'm so happy about this, but like more than ever, people are going to therapy, right? Or they have some kind of coach, yes. mm -hmm. someone, someone guiding them in growth. Mm -hmm. And so you can use these meditations, use these practices, and then bring it to your sessions and go, Oh, I worked on this this week. And this is what came up for me. Or there are more mindfulness coaches than ever. And so you can work with someone because you do, as you know, this is a practice, right? It's not something you can't read a book about mindfulness and then become like grow your, your innate mindfulness. You really have to do the practices, the practices. Um, but it is really important and helpful to have someone or have that community to discuss what you're learning along the way and questions that come up. Um, so it's, it's really not either, or it's just, it's, it's a supplement and a guide in that's part of the collective of resources available. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting having that discerning question when you open your phone and choosing an app is like, Oh, is this going to be helpful for me? Is this going to be harmful? I'd like to pause and just ask yourself. And sometimes I think people choose like a self-sabotage. I know it's going to be harmful, but I'm going to do it. Right. Cause the dopamine <laughs> hit feels so good. I have been in this practice that I've been observing. It's not a practice I love, but I've been in this, I would say more habit than practice where I charge my phone away from my bed. I don't use it as an alarm clock, but when I go to my meditation cushion in the morning, I grab my phone and I give myself like 10 minutes to scroll and then I put it away because I notice time is going and I'm like, this is going to cut into my practice time. And I care about my practice time because I know how much better I feel after my practice time. And so I give myself a little bit of space to play and then I put my phone away. And that's been helpful in the sense that it's like kind of fed that addictive quality and also capped it. But I... I have noticed like it's also something I don't want to be doing. Like it doesn't feel good to transition into my meditation, just having all of that influence in my brain. So I'm working on it. Also noticed been needing recently in my own meditation practices, like more feeling like I need more guidance. And so I have been turning to the apps more for support, whether that's the Center of the City platform or Insight Timer or the UCLA app. That's been an interesting shift in my own personal practice that I haven't experienced in over, you know, meditating for over 15 years. So I'm curious, when do you notice that you reach for guidance in an app? I love that question. Yeah. Oh, when it so, okay. I think the short answer, the real true answer is I don't, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like there's some days I just want stillness and quiet 
and my own actually i would say every day i want that every day i want silence and my own practice the way i do it um but then sometimes i want i mean sometimes i want a whole day or a whole week or a whole year of meditation <laughs> and i want to hear different people's voices i find some teachers i use this app um called audio dharma it was are you familiar with it no it's through the um insight meditation center in redwood city and gil Fronsdal is um the main teacher and founder there and he has different teachers on but i just find them everyone every teacher's approach and voice and heart is coming through their teachings and sometimes it's so i would say all the time it's inspiring and it's someone sharing their most intimate parts with you you know when someone's teaching genuinely from their authentic lived experience they're sharing a very vulnerable beautiful part of themselves and to receive that and and resonate with it and kind of attune to it is something that i i definitely seek um you know at least two times a week in addition to my um quiet silent personal practice so i think about that when i'm listening to teachers i'm like wow they're this is all coming from their lived wisdom and they've taken out taken time to connect with their own wisdom and then to share it it's beautiful really so yeah definitely um, and I pull from all different sources. There's another great app called Healthy Minds. And some of my colleagues are actually on that app. And um, and they're and they're offering it for free as well. So it's like so many of these places are just surviving on um, donations or maybe some assistance if it's a nonprofit. But it's really and if you do find one that you have to pay for, it's it's like what better way to spend my money than on meditation that soothes my soul really there's really to me no other uh so anything i can think of at the moment that's better to spend money on so um yeah i'm i have my dip my toes in all the all the apps out there and all the wisdom yeah you mentioned that you crave silence and i think this is an interesting intersection in the world because our world is so noisy, right? We have so many notifications going on. We probably live with people or animals like neighbors, traffic, right? So there's so much of that. And yet I know some people and some people, some guests I've even had on the podcast who necessarily aren't meditators who have dabbled, but silence scares them. Mm. And like, I'm curious how, how, what's your journey been into enjoying and craving that silence? I love that question. Yeah. So you just reminded me of um, the first time I went on a mindfulness retreat at Spirit Rock and it was in silence. And the first day there, I panicked. I had all these thoughts of doubt going through my head, like, wait, humans aren't meant to be this quiet. This is weird. Is this a cult? <laughs> I mean, I had all kinds of thoughts that were riddled with doubt and anxiety about this structure where we're all together, but we're not supposed to look at each other and we're not supposed to talk to each other. And it was very odd to me. And so much so that I walked down, like sneaked down to the um, gift shop just to like have normal interactions with people in the bookstore 
I thought I was breaking all the rules. I'm like, I know exactly <laughs> what you're like. I visual, I can see it all unfolding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I went back up and I luckily had this amazing teacher that was there, Heather. Heather Suddenberg? Yes. Oh my God. I love her. Yes. Yes. Okay. She was. So this was like, gosh, when, was, when did I do this? This was like 2005, maybe 2000. Yeah. I was young. I was in, still in college and, um, she was amazing, such a gentle, loving soul. And she said to me, like, you're not stuck here, first of all, which I needed to hear. And you can leave any time and we won't judge you or hold you in contempt for that. And then she's like, let's just try something. Let's have you focus your attention on your feet. And it was the first time I had done a walking meditation. And she just said, just walk from here to there and back. But I want you the whole time just to like, think of not think of but bring your awareness to the sensations in your feet and as i was doing that i could feel the anxiety come down i literally it was just i was because i was paying attention i could feel the ease coming over me and then there that that anxiety about leaving or the silence or the all those thoughts of doubt were just quiet and i was like whoa wait where are they <laughs> it was amazing um and that gave me the motivation and the will to like stay another day and then another day and then another day. So it's a gentle, I felt like that was a big moment for me and a big experience because it helped me ease into the getting used to silence and, and then starting to really, really feel safe in it and to trust it and then eventually to crave it, right? It's just definitely an evolution. And I think when we get quiet at first, we witness the loudness of our minds. Like for the first time, we're like, whoa. And it we don't have any tools. We might not have any tools for how to manage it or deal with it. So of course it's scary. Um, but I would say to people, you know, trust, trust the process of and be really gentle with yourself. You know, you start by just when I when I'm teaching meditation, sometimes I'll tell people, if you ever feel stuck and you feel like you can't get out of this meditation because you're here and I'm guiding you, just give yourself permission to rest in whatever way feels right for you. If that means opening your eyes, laying down. But I think that we need to give ourselves that permission to find rest in whatever we're doing, including meditation, and let go of that striving and that trying to make something happen so that our minds can really get a chance to work it work itself out in a way you know i love that piece you shared at the end because it is such a balance of finding the ease and the alertness to be able to not be in the striving i need to concentrate like i'm squeezing a lemon and juice getting it all out and be able to have that softness to just observe from this like rested back space i want to circle back to exploration around silence because I remember on my first day retreat I kept wanting you know some of the some of the cues were you know keep your eyes down you know try not to make eye contact don't hold the door for people and I noticed as we shared the space and as we had a mindful lunch together how I kept like trying to get people to look at me like how desperately I wanted that human eye-to-eye -eye contact and connection and, and so it wasn't the non-speaking, it was just more of the like, hey, connect with me, connect, you know, play with me. 
so that was a very interesting visceral response. And then when I went on my first meditation silent retreat and with Heather, Heather was my first teacher. I did a body wisdom retreat with her. And I remember just sitting at Cloud Mountain and sitting in the trees and just listening. And it was like, oh, wow, like pure silence, like hearing the birds, hearing the wind through the trees, not hearing traffic, not hearing voices. Like it was a deep place of restoration that I've never I had never experienced before. And so from that place, I started to crave it. And I think to your point about finding rest, I think this, like that's our human, that's our baseline. And we're just so revved up in our modern world that we forget where our baseline is, or we don't even know where a baseline is. I think silence is really a gift to be able to find not only rest in our baseline, but to be able to build that relationship to self. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, I, some mornings when I do a morning meditation, I sit outside and I just take in the beauty of nature of whatever nature I can see. So the birds and the trees and, and then I'll close my eyes and listen and see just the most subtle sound I can hear. And when you do that, your mind has to, your body has to get kind of still pretty for me I stillness that's a whole nother conversation because stillness was a huge turning point in my practice when I learned how to not learn but really felt deep stillness where I didn't feel the urge to move my attention became much more concentrated on its own it just like dropped a level and got really 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 still and then you can perceive things that we normally don't perceive because like you said we're just so busy and we're multitasking and trying to get we're rushing trying to get stuff done so yeah the combination of stillness and silence or relative silence um and being and abiding in that and taking refuge in that can be really deeply restful yeah and i want to emphasize for listeners like you don't have to go to the woods or to a park right to meditate and even to find silence I went to a super hippy dippy school in Manhattan for high school where we didn't have walls. And so we'd be in class that had like these partitions, but no walls or or real doors. So you could essentially hear what was happening in the other classroom. (laughs) And so with people with ADHD, it was very challenging, but also I think a really good practice because it helped you learn how to hear the noise around you, but to focus in, to zoom your attention inwards and how even at home being on living in a busy street, having noise around me, like how I can still find silence in relationship to the external noise can happen anywhere. So I just want to emphasize that for, for listeners, because I think, right, that can be a huge misconception Yes, that we hear yeah. in the mindfulness world. And also practicing, I work a lot with kids and preteens and I, I it's the practice I teach them first most of the time which is mindful listening so and i emphasize the fact that when you're listening when you're doing mindful listening in a busy like imagine the busiest like manhattan right you're in the like Times square and you close your eyes and you just listen to the sounds that are coming and going you're helping your brain to integrate it 
So there's less resistance and there's less stress in the body because you're inviting it in and you're letting go of that resistance. So even there, no, no place on earth is off limits for mindful listening. It'll all be beneficial in different ways. I was at a conference in June and it was right by LAX and they had the door open for, you know, COVID reasons. And there are planes landing like every few minutes and it was so loud and we were doing a mindfulness exercise and the teacher used the sound as our anchor specifically to help us just kind of embrace the sound of the engines and all that noise and how that actually allowed me to feel more present because I didn't feel like I was resisting what was. Exactly. Yeah, I'll have, I'm actually tonight, I lead a meditation group and um, there are a lot of cars. It's a busy street. And I had them listen to the cars as if they were ocean waves because mm -hmm. they kind of sound the same. And it really changes the way, again, your relationship to the sounds. Cause you're like, what if I, what if this is music? How would I, how do I listen to music? And how is that different from how I listen to um, or tolerate other sounds? So there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I, I think sound is a wonderful anchor for our practice, especially if you have, if you get triggered by your breath we talk in mindfulness, there's a lot of talk on breath centered practices, but for some folks that can be triggering and um, for a lot of different reasons. So sound is also wonderful anchor. I love this today. We've talked about sound, about walking meditation, about evening meditations, about using technology in your practice. Like there's so much permission to just make your practice again, what's going to best fit you in your lifestyle. Oh, Sam, thank you for being here. I feel like I could keep talking with you and and we'll just have to have you back on the podcast where can people learn more about you and stay connected yeah it's been my pleasure to be here it's so so enjoyable just to hear about your practice as well if folks want to find me you can go to my website at samantha snowden.com and i'm on instagram at anchored underscore sam i'm so also at the headspace app so my teachings are in there and yeah and your podcast, share your podcast. Oh yes, podcast. we have podcasts and we're up for an award, which is so exciting. Um, so the podcasts are called Dear Headspace, where we take listener calls about mindfulness and meditation and discuss them. And then the other podcast is Radio Headspace, where we kind of give a four to five minute, um, we talk about some aspect of, of mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Thanks so much for listening to the Centered in the City podcast. Join Sam and I on Instagram and share with us your thoughts and takeaways from today's episode. We would love to hear how you use and incorporate technology into your mindfulness practices if you do. Thanks for being here. And until next time, stay centered.